You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning and welcome to the Dean's Class. Delighted to have you be a part of this this morning. And some of you I know will be watching later on or throughout the week because you've been with us uh, this morning here on site, uh, God willing. We're recording this on Thursday, uh, but... uh, who knows what day it is anymore. Uh, I am very glad to have the Reverend Canon Chuck Collins with us today, and uh, we're going to talk about ministry and, and Chuck's life uh, and uh, what, what exactly he's doing in uh, Birmingham. Uh, but before we launch into the interview, let's ask God to be a part of this as he's promised. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, your word promises us where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, uh, there you are. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place, and we pray that even though we may be engaged in an interview, that your truth uh, would come through loud and clear, and that we might see Jesus and love him and know him more uh, than when we first began this interview. In Jesus' name, amen. Chuck. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Good Good to be with you. Yeah, Chuck, uh, you've been in ministry for a number of of years, and we are going to get to what it is that you're doing here toward the tail end of the interview. But just to get to know you a little bit better, tell us how you came to know the Lord Jesus. Mm. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Andrew. Uh, I, uh, I, it's hard to know when to actually begin the story. Uh, but when I look back on my life, I look to the time when I was 18 years old and asked God to make himself real to me. Mm-hmm. But before that, long before that, I feel like uh, I now have the uh, terminology and the language to be able to describe that God loved me throughout my life. Right. And from the very beginning, I uh, was raised in a uh, family that wasn't particularly Christian, was Episcopalian and attended regularly, but, uh, but God was pretty much at the uh, fringes of our life as a family. But I never doubted for a minute that, that my parents loved me, and uh, so what a gift that is. And I, I uh, was raised in the 60s and 70s, and it was a turbulent time in the country. I remember uh, at the age of 18 moving out into the... Um, the the desert, the Canyotia, New Mexico, moved into a house trailer, uh, grew my hair out, um, you know, was a hippie, taking philosophy classes at University of Texas, El Paso, and, um, uh, and working various places. And uh, one Sunday morning, I remember turning on the TV, and it was one of those TVs where you had three stations and aluminum foil for, uh, right. for reception. And someone on the TV said something like, have you found Jesus? And I quickly turned it off. I didn't want to hear that. I uh, began walking back toward my room in this house trailer out in the desert. And um, it occurred to me just suddenly that if there's a personal God that I didn't know him, and I remember kneeling down in the house trailer um, and, and asking God if he was real to make himself real to me. And, you know, it wasn't a hugely emotional experience. I, I don't know that I've had hugely emotional experiences in my life. But, um, but it was the opening of the door of my life to God in a way that I'd never experienced before. Mm. 
That got me back into him and reading the scriptures. Uh, It got me interested in the church again. Uh, The creed became alive to me. Uh, It was real when I was saying, I believe in God. I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's uh, that's the shortened version of it. Yeah, and and so you you grew up with factors, it sounds, that, that weren't at all hostile to, to Christianity, but, but um, true, but maybe impersonal, is that what you would say? I, I didn't know God before yeah. that time, you know, and I think what, what I know now is I would say that I was dead to him hmm. and dead spiritually. Hmm. Uh, St. Paul talks in the second chapter of Ephesians about us being dead in our trespasses and sins and by nature children of wrath. Right. And I think that really describes my life before God came into my life. Yeah. Um, and he rescued me, just like your sermon today says. He, he's the one who came to me. Yeah. And my, my, he showed me that my help is in his name. Yeah. And uh, so you're out in the desert. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you still have long hair. Yeah, yeah. Still on the trailer. Yeah. Uh, but, but you begin, uh, did you go back to the church that you had grown up in or... I did. It was an Episcopal church, El Paso, Texas, St. Clements. Yeah. And um, so I went back there, and there was a, a renewal happening in that church at the time. And who was the rector then? Uh, Ron Thompson. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. 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 In fact, I was uh, actually the youth representative on the search committee that called Ron hmm. initially. So. Yeah. So you went back there, and uh, at, at what point did you say, you know, I I'm feeling called to full-time ministry, specifically ordained ministry. And then tell us also how your lovely wife, Ellen, came into the picture and where she fits in with all this. Thanks. Thanks. After uh, that experience in the desert, I began to really hunger after the Word and uh, began to read it. Um, I, I knew nothing about the Bible Mm-hmm. Uh, raised in the Episcopal Church, but I really didn't know anything about the scriptures. And um, I remember going to a Christian bookstore and asking for a commentary on a book of the Bible, and I didn't even know which book to ask for. Mm-hmm. So I picked up F.F. F. Bruce's commentary on Philippians. And I began to read it, and I uh, was living with a, a, a guy who was also um, at the University of Texas, El Paso at the time. And um, we began to read it together. I, I began to read with him this, this commentary on Philippians. And uh, we began to gather around us a number of people who were interested in the scriptures. And uh, before long, we outgrew our house. And um, we moved to the park that was adjacent to the University of Texas, El Paso, and uh, began to teach week by week through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter. So that, that was an incredibly important uh, time in our life, uh, in my life. Um, but that experience got me into a Christian community where I began to exercise some leadership and saw that, that I really could, it could be a very fulfilling part of my life to be able to help lead people to Christ like mm-hmm. I was led to Christ, to be able to talk about Jesus and to, to talk about his word and, um, and so uh, that confirmed to me that I, I probably should be looking at, at ministry in some mm. way. 
So in, in the community of 30 or 40, 50 people gathered in a park around the book of Philippians, I think uh, God was leading me to ordain ministry. Uh, I went to the bishop, um, and he said, uh, no, you can't go to Trinity School for Ministry. And uh, that's really where my heart was set on going. And he said, I want you to go to Austin, Texas. So I enrolled at the seminary in Austin, Texas. And um, the first week I was there is when I met Ellen. She was set up on a blind date with Mitchell, my roommate, uh, Mitchell, if you're listening to this by chance, uh, I, I really want to do you uh, honor. Uh, but uh, she uh, ha- had dated Mitchell for a little while, and um, we met one night, and uh, she came into my room the next day at the seminary, uh, the, uh, the dorm room, sat down on the ground, and after four hours of talking with Ellen, I realized that she was a Christian, very committed, brand new Christian, that she uh, was in the honors program at UT uh, Austin, and, um, and that she was gorgeous. And uh, I, I thought to myself, what else is there? <laughs> and uh, so uh, I asked her to marry me after four hours of talking with her. Is that true? It's totally true. You can check it with Ellen. That's amazing. So yeah. you had kind of a Joseph in Egypt experience, uh, what, God, what, what man meant for ill. Uh, you weren't allowed to go to Trinity, uh, but God redeemed going to uh, Seminary of the Southwest. Yeah, Ellen has uh, been an enormous blessing for 41 years now. And four hours. Uh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. She laughed at me, by the way. I mean, she, she thought it was a joke, and, uh, and I have to was joking, of right. course, but uh, we, uh, we then dated for the next year. Uh, that, the end of the first year of seminary is when I got sick, mm. and uh, I don't know that you know this part of my story, but uh, I went through CPE, clinical mm. pastoral education, at uh, the state hospital, and going through that was, a, was a, a, a real test, but I got to the end of the summer and realized that I was really pretty sick. Uh, I was having stomach cramps all summer long and uh, flew back home to El Paso and within an hour was diagnosed with colon cancer. Mm. And at the age of 25, I was deeply in love with Ellen after a year of seminary. Uh, She was finishing her degree at UT um, and it was a kind of cancer that was not well treated back in those days. This was 40 years ago. So uh, had two operations in the course of two weeks, uh, and then chemotherapy and radiation therapy at MD Anderson Hospital in Houston, and um, realized after all of that, uh, the next year, that, um, that I would probably live, and uh, Ellen and I decided to, to look at marriage. So got married the last year before I graduated from seminary. Oh, that's, uh, I, knew, I knew bits and pieces of that story, but... Uh, what a remarkable thing in just trying to imagine what that conversation looks like. Um, you know, having a conversation with someone about whether or not you ought to be married is, is complicated and difficult enough to try to envision, you know, is this something that, that we're called to? But to have that dominated by, my, you know, not if we should get married, but if we do, how long will that be? Um, that, that's a real reality check. So, 
you get when y'all got married, you really meant it. Yeah, I, I think it couldn't have been a better test uh, of our relationship. And uh, Ellen has been uh, a huge gift in my life. And, um, and, and that year, year and a half proved uh, her faithfulness. So, yeah, well, praise God for faithful wives. Mm. Um, so you were ordained. And uh, you spent most of, uh, well, really, almost the entirety of your ministry in, um, in the Southwest. Um, Not exclusively, no. I went to El Paso for a couple years as a curate. And from there, I was called to Vero Beach right. for a couple years. And from there to Orlando, Florida, where I served at Holy Family Episcopal Church, yeah. Orlando, Florida. Uh, that was uh, that was a great experience, by the way, Andrew. It's um, it was a mixed race congregation in a very poor part of Orlando, and uh, very formative for me in ministry. And uh, so we were able to adopt three of our children in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have four children, and uh, so it was a great time. That's great. And then you went from there to? To Albuquerque. Albuquerque. And was in Albuquerque for about 10 years. And from Albuquerque was called to be rector at Christ Church in San Antonio, where I was rector almost 10 years. Yeah. And um, you've said to me that um, that you, and I often ask this of of guys that that, um, that are mature, um, uh, you know, where, where was your favorite place to be? And I don't mean your favorite place to be, but where, you know, where do you look back? Uh, does your mind immediately go? And you've mentioned to me that Albuquerque really was, you know, and what, what was it about the ministry in Albuquerque? Not that the other places weren't greater blessings as you said about Orlando and, and even what uh, your ministry in San Antonio, but what was it about Albuquerque where you just thought, this is pretty great. What made it great? Yeah, we, we were able to build an Albuquerque from the ground up. Um, my predecessor there left pretty suddenly and the church was pretty devastated mm-hmm. and uh, when we got to Albuquerque, St. Mark's on the Mesa the, there were just a handful of people in the congregation. This was the fastest growing Episcopal church in the country uh, back in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, and so it had, it had evolved to that point. So it was like planning a new church yeah. in some ways and um, what was what was great, I think, was that it gave me the opportunity to teach the scriptures really all the way through 10 years. Every week we would uh, gather as a congregation after the service and I would go through a book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it was great for me because even as a seminary graduate, I'd never done that. And um, so it was a great discipline for me. But I think for the congregation, in fact, it got to the point where people were coming to that and sometimes going to other churches it was such an important part of our ministry we also ended that ministry with 24 home groups Mm. and it was not a huge congregation but it was a home group based congregation Mm. Uh, so a lot of uh, ministry happening in home groups and uh, that was key to to what we were doing yeah now, the way that you came on uh, the radar screen uh, for me, primarily through relationships, you, you've had a relationship with the past couple deans here, but even before that, um, 
you've you've done a good job of maintaining a presence on social media, especially Facebook, and was always struck by the things that 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 you said and the things that you encouraged, and your your gospel commitment. It, are those are those commitments that that you you had? since the time of your conversion, or in ministry have they developed, or was there an aha moment where you thought, oh goodness, I've actually not been preaching the gospel, I've been preaching a lot of law, and my ministry has been bound, and it, it, we, we just need to let go and Yeah, such, such an important question for me, because I, I think a number of years in ministry where I uh, basically was preaching law uh, and I was a fairly likable guy, so we were able to grow congregations, and, uh, you know, people were were into the scriptures, they were into small groups, doing all the right things. But uh, I realized over a period of a couple years, maybe three or four years, that people were not basically getting better by hearing <laughs> just the demands of the scriptures mm. and the commands of the scriptures, but that they needed to know that Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law's demands. Mm. And, that, um, and that he's the one that died the death uh, that we deserved as our substitute. Mm. So I, I, there was a pretty dramatic change in my ministry from the time that I began in ministry to the time that I realized the truth of the gospel, that the good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And when I began to make that change, I, I think it was striking for the congregations I was serving, hmm. and, uh, uh, but all good. And, and people responded well to, to that message of Jesus rather than do more and try harder and uh, get your stuff together and you need to, to volunteer for Sunday school and do all those things that good church people do. Uh, the good news of the gospel that I wanted to preach every Sunday was about Jesus. Hmm. What, was uh, was there anything that God used to move your theological convictions or, or clarify them? Yeah, yeah, there was a, a lot of things. Uh, a number of people that God put in my life. Uh, there was a pastor in Fort Lauderdale who I was friends with. Um, uh, Paul Zoll was incredibly important to me. Uh, Paul would uh, take me aside every time we got together, and I, I served on the the board at Trinity for about 10 years. So Paul and I would have lunch or, or dinner, and uh, he'd pull me aside and, and just ask about the ministry. He's such a good listener, and he, he guided me. His, his books have been a tremendous resource for me over the years. Uh, he guided me to read uh, Luther's Commentary on Galatians, mm. and uh, it's my favorite book today, I think. And uh, so... Yeah, people that God put in my life that re reintroduced me to the importance of the gospel. Um, not that the law is not important, because it is. It's God's word, but mm-hmm. God has responded to the law's demands by sending his son Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so my preaching, my teaching became much more Christ-centered mm-hmm. than it was before. Yeah. Um, so you've been in Advent or long before you ever set foot uh, in the Advent. <laughs> so I have always felt at home in yeah. this congregation. I love this church. And uh, well, it, it, tell us a little bit about how you, you mentioned preaching, 
but that began to shape your preaching. How else did it shape your ministry? So maybe some things that you began doing differently. And what was the response of the congregation, especially the one that you may have been in the midst of at that point, who's thought there's something now different about Chuck? Probably wasn't that sudden. Um, but I began to look at my whole life differently. Um, one of the passages of Scripture that became critical to the way I look at things is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul says, I have blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And that means to me that he's accomplished everything right. for my salvation, that nothing's lacking. And, uh, and then he goes on to pray I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you're called, the riches of the glorious inheritance and the incomparable great power. Mm. And so for the Ephesians and for Chuck Collins, uh, my problem wasn't uh, that I wasn't blessed because I think God had given me everything when he gave me Jesus initially. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I was tremendously blessed, but I just didn't know it. And so my life took on the tone of, of wanting to become aware, mm -hmm. awake to the reality of who I am in Christ and what he's, what he's done for me. Yeah. So how did it impact me? I, I think in the way that I manage staff at the church, we had a pretty good-sized staff in, at Christ Church in San Antonio. Um, I, I think there was a lot more grace in that um, than than the way I had led before. Um, it also changed the way I parented. I think there was some really remarkable changes in the way that Ellen and I began to parent uh, our kids. We have a, an interesting family, it's interesting to me, that uh, we've adopted three kids over the years and uh, they are three biracial children and uh, in Florida, that meant that they were special needs. And, and they were mm. special kids to us. They were just gifts to us. When we couldn't have children, God presented those kids to us. But I, I think the, uh, the way that we began to learn how to parent those kids from a gospel-centered perspective was, was a big change, mm. you know, for me and for Ellen as well. Yeah. So being at a place like Christ Church in San Antonio, and you've alluded to this a little bit, that it seems to me that you, you, you took more of an interest in how the gospel shapes individuals, uh, really for the sake of freedom, not trying to turn it around and make it a law unto itself, but um, especially how the gospel shapes pastors and um, I mean, what was your experience um, without, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but that kind of formation just doesn't happen in, in seminary typically, even seminaries that we would say are good. Um, so what kind of things were you working with, with the younger associates uh, or even the older associates that you were, uh, that you were pastoring? Yeah, I've had the, a huge blessing of working with some really talented clergy over the years, and we've had great staffs. And um, that was true even before I got there. But, mm -hmm. um, but even as I began my ministry at Christ Church in San Antonio, uh, we had some really talented um, clergy and, and also staff. So 
we uh, began to turn our staff meetings more into uh, opportunities to just encourage what God was doing in our midst mm -hmm. rather than planning. I mean, all of that's important, but uh, staff meetings took on a different look for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we met over lunch every week and um, had an opportunity to break bread together, mm -hmm. but, but pray together, um, break up into small groups and pray for one another, those kinds of things, that was critical. Um, and, and all of that was to, to reaffirm how God was teaching all of us about the power of the gospel itself, that uh, we are uh, by nature children of wrath and sinners, and if God doesn't reach into our life and do something about that, then we are without hope. Right. And that was reaffirmed over and over again in all the things we did. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a good segue because I just want to say uh, that's, that's kind of what has brought you here to Birmingham. And um, as I mentioned in my annual address last January, remember that, um, uh, we talked about uh, bringing Chuck uh, to Birmingham really for two reasons. Uh, the first, uh, when I became Dean and Rector of the Advent, uh, I realized how young I was and, um, and by certain measures still am. Uh, but wanted somebody who had some experience as the rector of a large church, uh, firm convictions around the gospel, and wanted to keep their hand in ministry but not be in charge which is really difficult to, to find amongst clergy. And, uh, but uh, I, I called up Chuck and said, hey, would you consider coming to Birmingham? And, and you said no. Uh, he did say it not more, uh, he, it was nicer about it than, than I'm making it out, but this, I'm trying to hurry the story along. Uh, I, we then had you over for Lenten preaching, uh, had a conversation with you then, and you said no again. And, um, you know, I just sort of applied my MO when it comes to dating, persistence wears down resistance. And, uh, and the third time was the charm, and uh, you were in a good place, you and Ellen, to be able to come to Birmingham, one, uh, to uh, be a part of the Advent and uh, to help me, and two, to start the Center for Reformation Anglicanism. Uh, our visioning process that we did uh, a while back, uh, you can still get those materials on our website, laid out uh, some action steps. And one of those action steps was the formation of an institute uh, to raise up future generations of leaders, uh, not just uh, for the wider church, uh, but also for the advent. I mean, there's going to come a day when I get hit by the milk truck or I retire, and uh, the question is, who is going to replace me. And our experience has been that it's been difficult to find um, folks who can, um, who are not just conservative, uh, but who really have a handle on the gospel and that that it's permeated their lives in such a way that it does change the way uh, that they do ministry. Now, the former reason for why Chuck has come amongst us, uh, we've hit some complications, which um, we're not going to go into now, but uh, the, the Bishop uh, of Alabama uh, not granting you a license to serve, uh, but we're so committed uh, to what God has called us to do, that, and, and you are too, that you came anyway, and you moved here on March the 13th. <laughs> I, I moved here, I arrived on the ground in Birmingham. March 13th. Which is, of course, the weekend where it all fell yeah. apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I moved into the uh, Advent house and uh, was there for a couple of weeks before I found an apartment, but uh, what a strange time that was and really continues to be. It is, and I mean, part of the reason why we're having you here in the dean's class to do this interview is to introduce you to people. I mean, that right now, it's normally when a, a, a pastor comes into a congregation, there's this sort of a, a big spurt of engagements that, that introduce you around so that within a month, everybody's basically at least laid eyes on you. And, and that's just not been the case. And that, of course, complicated uh, not being able to get you in front of the, cam- in front of the camera um, to, uh, to do Sunday services and the like. But um, so glad folks are, are being introduced to you, uh, to you now. And uh, I'd like to change the conversation for uh, the last remainder is, you know, the center that we're starting for Reformation Anglicanism is not trying to create a time machine whereby we all go back to the 16th century, seeing that as some sort of golden age uh, for Anglicanism, but, but that period laying the foundations that have been um, largely abandoned um, by North American Anglicanism in particular, in whatever shade or fashion it manifests itself, uh, but um, also Anglicanism uh, generally. And so, I mean, part of our hope for the center is, is to have um, not a manipulative influence in the negative, but, but to have a formative influence in sort of putting forward this strain of Anglicanism that has been largely neglected in, in North America. So tell us a little bit about uh, the, the center and, and some of the hopes that you have. And, uh, and, and you know, we're, we're just getting off the ground, but, but w- w- what you see going on now and where you hope it will go. Yeah, we're, we are just getting off the ground. So there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas percolating and uh, um, a lot of potential opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what I don't see around the country is a, um, uh, a concerted effort on the part of anyone or any society or any group or any center for supporting Reformation Anglicans, people who uh, see the, the 16th century as formative because we, we have the Anglican historic formularies that come from that era. Uh, but they've defined churches up until our own day, and I, I see the Advent as a church that's, that's totally bought into that expression of, of Anglicanism. Um, and I see that across the country, but I, but I don't see much support going on for churches like the Advent or churches around the country that I'm aware of. So I hope that a Center for Reformation Anglicanism can support the clergy and congregations that are committed to traditional Anglicanism or, mm-hmm. or mere Anglicanism, however we want, want to describe it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Anglicanism that, that values Scripture as the highest priority uh, or the highest uh, authority, the, the expression of Anglicanism that focuses on the doctrine of justification by faith alone, by grace alone, and the priesthood of all believers that we each have the opportunity to relate to God um, mm-hmm. without an necessary intermediary between us and God. Now, you've, you've had your, your, your feet in, in both worlds. Um, you're, you're still canonically resident in the Episcopal Diocese of West Texas, That's right. uh, but before you came to us, you were serving an Anglican church in North America congregation That's right. in, in Phoenix. 
And so I think that you have a, a really good perspective on what is, the, how does North American Anglicanism, whether that be in the ACNA or the Episcopal Church, how does it receive Reformation Anglicanism? How do they view it? I think there's a lot of confusion in both the Episcopal Church and in ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America, um, about what Anglicans have historically believed. Mm -hmm. uh, you began your sermon today by saying that we've forgotten our history, mm -hmm. and uh, it's easy to do, and I think that's very true of Anglicanism, uh, Anglicans um, and Episcopalians. So, um, yeah, I think uh, we need to remember our history. We need to remember uh, where we came from and what it is that we've always historically stood for. Those things I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that all focuses our attention on the gospel. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, the end of, of what Reformation Anglican stand for. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I, I think there's just a need for a network, for a, uh, support, encouragement, uh, training uh, of a new generation for Reformation Anglicans. Yeah, yeah and of course, we're not uh, alone in that. Um, the, the relationships that we have with individuals and, and, and entities uh, outside of the United States and even Americans outside of the United States, like Ashley Knoll, and then uh, places um, in, in Africa and in England and in Australia who, uh, who are... Who are at a minimum uh, sympathetic to Reformation Anglicanism. And for much of the Anglican world, they do know their history, and they sort of would, they would agree with us and say, well, of course, this is what it means to be an Anglican. So for us, it's not so much we're trying to dismantle the historical narrative in North American Anglicanism, but to at least uncover the, the real history of it and to say, we, we have to have a bigger perspective on what's going on here. And that's certainly not over and against your perspective, although in some areas it would be, but, but you really can't say that this has no place. I think there are very healthy Episcopal churches and very healthy Anglican churches uh, in the United States that do reflect historic Anglicanism. Mm -hmm. And it's those congregations and rectors that I would love to see pulled together and encouraged and supported. And, and also uh, the possibility of partnering with Beeson and other schools for ministry where um, we can be a part of encouraging a new generation of leaders. Yeah. I think this is the impetus that brings me here to uh, Birmingham and that's that's something I've got a heart for. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah. And the center, too, being something that, um, you know, we've already been doing it, by and large, uh, as a congregation, things for our own people. But it would be great to sort of streamline that and to be able to say, this is how we're going to go about this. So some of the things that we may be putting on may be geared more toward Beeson folks uh, or, or people training for ministry. But the Advent benefiting from the riches of the center, um, whether that be speakers coming in or, or books being published or, or, or things like that. Um, as you said, there, there's, there's a tremendous, tremendous need and, um, and really trying to be clear from the outset, uh, this is who we are and this is what we do. Um, because I think there have been some attempts at doing this in the past, but have just kind of been overwhelmed by something. 
There's a lot of confusion, Andrew, about what Anglicans believe. And so I, um, I, I would love to be part of a ministry, part of a church like the Advent that has a commitment to the uh, essentials of Anglicanism um, mm. in our history, the Episcopal Church essentials. And uh, so I, uh, I think it's a matter of just remembering that. We're, we're yeah. not taken by the winds of our culture. We believe something, and the church that doesn't believe something will fall for anything. Yeah. So, and it, you know, it's in, it'll be interesting to me um, what's going to happen when we get to the other side of COVID, and I know it won't be one Sunday, all of a sudden we're back, um, but that it, it really, from my perspective, I, I don't think it's going to matter that much if you're a liberal Anglican congregation or a conservative congregation, because by and large, those ministries are going to look almost identical, just in different theological frameworks. Um, but because of the way Anglicanism has been formed in North America, how many of them are really going to be viable um, when they come back? And so I think, too, there's a real opportunity for us to say, you know, we're here to help. Um, we really are here to help and, um, and uh, praying for you and, and would love to work, uh, work uh, with you. So we're really glad that you're here, Chuck, and uh, he's, he is a real human being, uh, and he's here. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, as, as things uh, happen, uh, hopefully Chuck will be uh, around for those things. But in the meantime, uh, the, minute, the work of ministry goes on, and we're really grateful uh, that you're here in Birmingham with us. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, you're most welcome. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you're so good to us, and uh, we thank you for gifting the Advent uh, with uh, an abundance of resources, um, and our greatest resource of all, Lord, uh, the people uh, here. And uh, we thank you for bringing Chuck and Ellen to us, and Lord, we uh, know that they will have a ministry uh, amongst us and, and to us, uh, and Lord, we thank you for the work uh, that is beginning with the Center for Reformation Anglicanism. Lord, that it would go from strength to strength and that you would uh, bless it. And uh, Lord, not that it would uh, necessarily create a certain kind of Anglican, uh, but Lord, a gospel people. Uh, that, that really is our hope, Lord, that uh, people would be on fire for you and uh, long uh, to preach um, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we pray all of this and commend it all to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks, Chuck. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.